the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. Today I'm going to be focusing on one of the words, and it's joy. Joy is the word I'm going to look at today. I, I, I love this word because there is so much wonderfulness about it. Uh, but see, the Christmas season has a whole bunch to do. It really centers on mood, right? Uh, my wife wants to go out to eat because she says, well, it's just, it's just the mood. I like the mood there, right? I said, that's why there's never going to be a restaurant on the moon. No atmosphere. Get it? Not even a groan. How about a rolling eye? Okay. All right. Okay. Anyway, but, but it's all about mood. Christmas is all about mood. It's the music. It's the decorations. It's the lights. It's even the weather, right? We, we, we get into the mood of Christmas. Now, most languages have numerous words to describe a good mood. Uh, in Spanish, we hear about alegría or feliz, or contento, right? That's the way they'll say it in Spanish. In German, it's glücklich, or freude, right? In Swahili, it's furaha. In Dutch, they'll say hulgek. And in Filipino, it's kagalakan. Now, wait, I know, if I didn't get any of those right, please forgive me, because I don't use those words. I use words like happy, cheerful, joyful, but see, every language has these words to try and describe what it means to be in a good mood. It's interesting to see how joy is a key theme that runs all throughout Scripture. The ancient languages of the Bible have numerous words to describe this feeling. In biblical Hebrew, over 400 times throughout the Old Testament, there is a couple of words that are used. The first one is simcha which is just the simple word joy. And then they'll also use the word sason, which means gladness or gladness of heart. In the Greek New Testament, there are several words. The first one is agliasis, which is exhilaration, right? Or there's this other word, kara, which is where we get the word charismatic, right? It's kara, when there is something bubbling inside, right? Or there's euphrosine, and you hear this word, euphrosine, do you hear, you hear that word? Euphoric, right? There's this, this moment where you go, oh, I just feel great. Well, each of these words have their own unique nuance, but they're all basically referring to this feeling of joy or happiness. And joy and happiness are two totally different emotions. They're similar, but they're really different. Joy is attributed to something that is consistent and it's internal, while happiness is something gets triggered externally. Something's happening out here that causes happiness. If you've got your app open this morning, I want you to fill in your first blank. Joy is totally natural. It's natural. But I want you to know this. Please know this. Misery is our creation. And if I have ever seen misery being created, it's during this pandemic. Joy is natural, and I'm going to get into why it's so natural, but during this pandemic, we are truly creating misery. It's being created for us by other people, but I can't tell you how often I'm creating my own misery. But I want you to hear this. We are choosing between these two things every day. Will I be joyful or will I be miserable? 
and, I, and I believe in this season, during this pandemic, during lockdown and all the, the news saying, oh, we're going back in and all these masks. And nobody wakes up going, oh, another day I get to wear a mask. Yay. I get that. But see, we have a choice to make. I can be miserable about this or I can have joy. Again, is this an internal thing or an external thing? Is this something that's triggering me or is this something that, that I carry with me? What makes these biblical words really interesting is the sources of joy. When I look through the Bible about the sources of joy, on page one of the Bible, right there, Genesis 1, God comments on everything that he's made, and he says, it is very good. So naturally, then, people find joy in the beautiful good things of life. In Psalm 65, they point out that growing flocks or abundant harvests are a source of joy. The weather flowers, and other people have all been biblically qualified as sources of joy. The poet in Psalm 104 puts together a long list of reasons to praise God, including the sun, the moon, rain, darkness, mountains, rivers, trees, birds. He's got a whole list in Psalm 104. In verse 15, he even mentions that wine is a source of making people glad, maybe sometimes too glad. But, 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 but listen, there's so many sources. Jeremiah 33 says that people find joy in a wedding. And Psalm 23 says that children are a source of joy, although not all the time, Right? Proverbs 27 even compares, listen to this, he compares the joy that perfume brings to our senses of, of smell with the joy that a good friend brings to a heart. He says there's this joy that happens when you have a good friend. Joy has very little to do with the circumstances in our lives, but has everything to do with the focus of our lives. And now I gotta ask the question, here it comes again. What are we focused on in these days? It's so easy to focus on the stuff that just irritates me. The masks and, the, and no eating out and all these other things. It's like, oh, I, want, I want to focus on these negative aspects. And yet Paul tells us, hey, man, don't think on those things. Think on things that are praiseworthy. Henri Nouwen said this, and I love this quote. He says this, joy doesn't simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. And I'll tell you what, it is hard to choose when this life is so marked, so consistently by death and loss. But please hear this, joy is a choice. It's based on the knowledge that we belong to God, we find our refuge and safety in him, and nothing, not even death, can take God from us. And that changes, that's the internal piece. It goes, wait, right. As Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, there, there's something that sets everything in alignment. When I know that, you can't take God away from me. See, the biblical story shows how we live in a world that has been corrupted by our own selfishness. Quite honestly, I am really the source of my own misery much of the time. The things that I'm upset about, I created. And this is where biblical faith offers a very unique perspective on joy. It's an attitude of, that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of the hope that we have in God's love 
and his promises toward us. Now, I talked about hope last week. So if you didn't get to hear that in the Advent series, we started last week talking about hope. Please get on that, get onto iTunes, get onto Facebook, listen to that message, please. Because this is part two in a, in a four-part series. Last week was hope, today is joy. Next week, a little bit of love. I know we're all looking for that, right? But I think back at the beginning, way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the Old Testament, I look at Genesis where the Israelites are suffering from slavery in Egypt. And God raises up Moses and he says, I need you to lead my people into freedom. And the first thing that the Israelites do is that they sing for joy, even though they're in the middle of the desert. Even though they're vulnerable, the promised land is still far away, they're rejoicing anyway. In fact, Exodus chapter 15 is an entire chapter. It's a whole song. Some of you may remember the, song, the, the series that I did or the sermon that I did called The Right Song on the Wrong Side. See, they were praising God after he delivered them rather than praising him before he delivered them because they knew he was going to be faithful. That's another sermon for another time, but it was a great sermon. Right song, wrong side. If you're filling in blanks this morning, here's another one for you. See, what we're doing is we're saying that joy, joy, the joy of God's people isn't determined by our struggles, but by our future destiny, by our future destiny. Psalm 105 verse 43 says this. It's what I was just talking about. He brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. See, that wilderness joy was a defining moment for God's people. And that's why, again, our struggles are about where we're going, not about where we've been, not even about where we are. And this theme appears over and over and over again. In fact, I just finished a series on living faithfully, what it means to live in exile and, and having to, what it feels like to be in captivity. And yet, somehow, how do we choose joy? Well, because the prophet Isaiah, he, his writing, when I read Isaiah, that was all being written while they're in captivity, while they're in exile, while they're being oppressed. You want to know what he said? Isaiah chapter 51. Listen to this. Isaiah 51, 11. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. Oh, it's the future. It's the destiny. Do you see it? They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting, say that word with me, joy. Sorrow and mourning are going to disappear. They're going to be filled with what? Joy and gladness. This is why it's so significant to you and I. First, we read this in Isaiah, and I think, oh, man, yes. But see, it becomes very significant when you read the good news of Luke and you hear about the Christmas story in Luke chapter two, verse 10. Listen to what the angel says. I bring you good news that will bring great what? Joy to all people. See, Luke records for us how Jesus rejoiced. He rejoiced in his earthly ministry. He gave thanks to God, his father. And he began to announce the kingdom of heaven. And then he taught his followers about this same joy over and over again. After his death, after his resurrection, Jesus commissions his followers, that's you and me today, to go out and announce this good news that he is the risen king of the world. And as they did so, I want you to know something. The early Christian communities were known for being 
people of joy. They looked at them and said, why are these people so joyful? Even though they're being persecuted. If you have your Bibles, in fact, I'm, I want to read this to you. In Acts chapter 13, an amazing moment, right? Listen, listen to what it says. Acts chapter 13, verse 52. The believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. But by the way, that's not the whole of the story. That's just verse 52. If I back it up, it says this, that, that the Jewish leaders got the influential people to persecute them, to form a mob against them, and then comes, and the believers were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Wait, what? In persecution? I thought you said they were being persecuted. Yeah, do you see this? The outside triggers, are they're being persecuted, but there's an inside something, a power deep inside that says, no, but I still have joy. At one point, Paul is sitting in a dirty Roman prison. He writes a letter to the Christians living in a city called Philippi. And guess what the, the, the center theme of that letter is? Joy. While sitting in a dingy dungeon, Paul is writing about joy. Again, not the outside circumstances. He's writing about something that's internal. 15 times he refers to either the noun joy or the verb rejoice, saying, hey, listen, I, I even have joy even if I get executed. Wait, what? He calls this the joy of his faith and the joy in the Lord. Paul believed that joy was a fruit and a gift of God's spirit. If you're filling in your blanks, fill this one in. The joy of, uh, the joy of God is a sign that Jesus' presence is with us. His presence is inspiring hope in the midst of hardship. And if we ever needed this Advent, this is why I think it's so important, this Advent season that we're stopping, slowing ourselves down enough to take this in. If we ever needed hope, joy, love, peace, if we ever needed it, this Christmas, I need to be realigned to these biblical gifts that God has given us. When you and I believe in Jesus' love that has overcome death, joy becomes, quite honestly, a reasonable alternative. Even in the midst of the darkness in situations. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore or suppress our sorrow. That's not healthy or even necessary. But Paul often expressed his grief. You can hear it as he writes. He misses loved ones, losing friends, even his own freedom. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. See, I, I do have these feelings. I wrestle with these things. He acknowledges his pain, but he also makes a choice to trust Jesus, that his loss, even death, would not be God's final word, that there was something even beyond death. It's very different from the shallow and trite advice that we get from other people. Turn that frown upside down. How, how very, again, how very shallow. That, that, again, it's an outside external thing that says, hey, you need to do this. Yeah, well, I can do it, all right. Thanks a lot. Feeling great. It, that's just not the way it works. In fact, Christian joy is a profound decision. Would you fill this in? It's a decision that we make in faith and in hope, in the power of Jesus' life and love. Jesus' life and love for you and me. 
is a decision that I make. I make that decision. And it's, again, it is very profound to not be miserable. To allow this natural thing to then bubble up that's already inside of me. Jesus referred to it as living water. He says, listen, if you drink from the water I'm giving you, you're going to have a life-giving fountain inside of you. Beloved, I want you to hear this. Today is a day we must make a choice. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your financial situation is this Christmas. Many people out of work. Many people struggling financially. I don't know where you're sitting relationally. I know know several in our congregation are dealing with the loss of life this holiday season. There's so much happening that makes us go, oh man. Loss of relationships like marriage. Loss of relationships like kids moving away or kids in rebellion and choosing to literally move away. And I don't know what you're facing this Christmas season. This, but listen to me, this Advent season. Because if we can flip this around, if, if you and I can choose, beloved, to flip this around and, and stop looking at it. Well, Christmas, we have to be happy. Christmas is that time to be happy. No, listen, Advent is a time for joy. Again, that's why I choose each year to slow down and, and celebrate my Advent wreath, my four candles, my wreath, my candle in the middle. Uh, each Sunday, just going, wait, I got to get back to this. Because you and I are going to need to make some choices today. I can gripe and I can complain and I can moan and groan with the best of them. I might even lead the pack in regards to what I feel as oppression, what I feel as unfair. In regards to so much happening in our culture, in our society today, Christians aren't being treated fairly. I'm not being treated. Santa Clara, why are we under L.A. County? Why is that? We need to be our own. Oh, listen, I've got the best arguments. Just give me some time. I will spout all of my opinions. Or I can choose joy. I could choose joy in this season. And I'm telling you, we need this more than ever. It's why we put on this class, dealing with grief in the holidays. Because it is something that we have to deal with. We do need to process the thought that, well, my grandmother died, my father died, my husband died, my my wife. There's death that's happened this year. People are processing that. What's this going to be like? This is For many people, this Christmas will be the first Christmas without fill in the blank. And we're having to process that. But beloved, I'm here to tell you that the, the strength of that process is that we choose joy. That we choose joy. I want you to see how this plays out in a biblical example. Um, if, if I were to give my example, and oftentimes I do try to tell you stories that I have been through, how this applies to me. And, and what, but quite honestly, my, my stories are kind of weak because it's me. I'm involved, and so I didn't really play it out all the way the way I would like to. Most of my stories aren't praiseworthy because Knucklehead is, in the, is the leading role, right? But, but see, I want, I want to tell you a story this morning. It's a Christmas story of how this choosing joy works out in our lives. How do we do this? You've heard, the, you've heard about them, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Turn your Bibles 
turn on your tablets, whatever it is, Luke chapter one. I want you to see this this morning. Luke chapter one. I've been pulling up all those scriptures for you, but I want you to see this in your lap, in your living rooms, uh, uh, lay it on your bed this morning as you're watching this, this, this uh, live stream. I want you to hear this. I want to share a story with you about Zechariah and Elizabeth who are pretty much the perfect couple, okay? They had been, for so many years, noble and godly, and nobody finds fault with these two. These are just good folks. They're the kind of people you're like, I wish they lived next door to me. I wish they were my mom and dad, right, right, right? Well, Zechariah, he faithfully serves in the Lord's temple. And she, Elizabeth, she's faithfully serving her beloved at home. And their love for each other is a sight to see. But just one thing caused a question that I think teased the mind. And that was the fact that they had not been blessed with children. Now, even one child would have quieted the discontent in their hearts. But after decades of faithful marriage and serving the Lord, it appears that they're going to pass from this earth without passing on their legacy. And everyone around them, I can imagine it. They're all thinking, what a shame. How sad. I mean, what happened? At one point later in the Gospels, they said, at one point they're asking, I wonder what sin they committed that has caused that to happen, right? When they're referring to other people, right? This man is crippled and they go, well, they must have committed some sort of sin, so God is actually cursing. He may look good on the outside, but you could tell by the crippling God, they must have done something sin against God. So I'm imagining people are probably thinking about them as well. well gosh, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they sure seem to have their act together, but they don't have kids, so they must have really blown it somewhere. I can hear them. Well, you know, the Bible says, Scripture tells us, children are a blessing from the Lord. They're a heritage. So, Lord, why haven't you given them a blessing? It's a terrible thing. Because their humble home had never sheltered a cradle or rang with a child's joyful laughter. Barrenness is a bitter pill to swallow. And I'm sure that it drove the priest and his wife to their knees time and time and time again. Their hope of a child had obviously faded over the years, but it didn't change their faith in God. They continued their walk with God. Zechariah is still in the temple doing what he does, worshiping God. See, they believe that God's goodness is everlasting, child or no child. And they would live faithfully, prayerfully, serving his purposes as he had given life to them. And life did continue on day by day. Again, working in the temple, lighting the incense. Life became routine. Uh, it becomes this established cadence is what we do. I just, this is my life. I just kind of do it. And in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah is at work and he is praying and he's asking the Lord to remember his people and his promises. But this was going to turn out to be a day he would remember for the rest of his life. The incense is sizzling. The smoke is on the hot coals. The aromatic cloud is rising, symbolically carrying the prayers heavenward. And out of the corner of his eye, Zechariah realized he's not alone. What in the world is happening? He is standing face to face with the angel Gabriel. 
the angel acknowledges Zechariah's prayer. And then he brings a prophecy about a child who would fulfill his and Elizabeth's hopes and dreams. Check this out in verses 13 and 14, Luke chapter one. Look what he says here. The angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. I'm talking to you. Don't be afraid. God's heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to give you a son. And you're going to name him John. This is what you need to do. You're going to have great, what? There's the word. Here it comes. You're going to have great joy and gladness. And many, here's the verb, will rejoice at his birth. Beautiful. Gabriel promises joy. And then it pops out. It pops out right there. Luke chapter 1. Got to get it here. Luke chapter 1, verse 18. The angel talks to him and he says, hey, listen, by the way, I want you to know, in, in spite of all your doubt and your hesitation that has kind of squelched this joyous news uh, about, of what I'm telling you, Zechariah just begins this long list of reasons why that's not going to happen. I, 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 can't, I can't believe that that's going to happen. Look what he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 18. You've got it there with you. He says this. How can, I, how can I be sure this is going to happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is along in years. We've been waiting for this baby. If you wanted to give me a baby, you should have done that in my 30s. I mean, outside my 40s. But I mean, it would have been really a long shot in my 50s, but she is well advanced in her years. Now, I barely have energy. You want me to run after a toddler? I mean, I can think of all kinds of lists of reasons why in my old age I should not have a newborn. That's what Zechariah gets into. Have you ever been waiting for God to deliver the good stuff to you? I know God has good things for me. I mean, you're not praying for a lottery win or a designer house. You're not trying to get a shot on American Idol, right? right? You're just, I just want what I've seen the Lord bless other people with. Healing and comfort and a loving family and a strong marriage. What's wrong with that? Is that so selfish of me? But it gets hard. And when it gets too hard and we can't stand anymore, it's time to kneel and keep praying. That's what was happening with Zechariah. It's so hard, but I'm going to keep praying. When it seems that our prayers, like with Zechariah, are nothing but ashes of dreams, we need to keep praying. If you feel as though you don't even have the faith to prepare your heart and mind to pray. Confess that to God. God, I don't even know what to pray. And then keep praying. Prayer is simply a two-way conversation between us and God. And it doesn't have to be perfect. God's answers are always wiser than our prayers. Choosing joy in this moment, in this hard moment, in this hard season, choosing joy begins with our worship for who God is and our praise for all that God has done. In spite, not according to my priority listing. Well, if he really wants to make me praise him, he should do this and then this and then I want two of those and I want this and I want a biggie size of that. And 
You see, we have to just worship him for who he is and praise him for what he's done. See, prayer isn't an argument to persuade God to move things our way. It's about moving our spirit his way. I want to get closer to you. I want to bring you my desires and my dreams. Beloved, I want you to hear this. Please know this. God hears you and he is for you. More than you could possibly imagine. And whatever the outcome, please, beloved, keep praying. And above all else, seek the giver and not the gift. And in this season, that's a word we need to hold on to. Because I'll be straight up with you. I'm seeking the gift. (laughs) But God has designed us, watch this, for relationship with him and relationship with other people. But how often have I gone to the place where I just want the gift from him, not the relationship, and I just want the gift from you, not the relationship. Let's seek the giver and not the gift. God's goodness will always be our answered prayer. When our prayer is, I want your presence, I want your love, I want your peace, I want your joy, because you are with me no matter what I go through. No matter how deep the waters get, I will not drown. No matter how hot the fires come, as they come at me, I will not be burned up. I will not be, the Bible says, consumed. This is why I have joy in the midst of the hard seasons. That's why I have to share their story, even in its flaws. Just my story is filled with more flaws. Beloved, where are you this morning? Where are you in need of a reminder and an alignment back to, right, joy? Not happiness triggered by the externals, but joy, which is an internal, natural thing that is happening to all of us. I want to pray for you this morning. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would bless your kids who listen to these words in this Christmas season where many struggle, so many struggle with, it's hard to have joy because this is bad and my job is this and my finances is this, my relationships are this, my health is this. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I imagined my life was going to be, but I'm praying right now. And I'm hearing people, even though I can't hear you right now on this live stream, I'm hearing you. I'm in that place. Pastor, I'm in that place. Would you pray specifically for me? God, would you reach out to them and reinstill the foundation in their life of joy? Let it be so in Jesus' name and let it be done. 